on Jesus' Sermon in the Mount, I want to look at a passage that I think is very easily and often misunderstood or misinterpreted to mean something that it, it doesn't exactly mean to begin with. So the passage is in Matthew chapter 5, and it begins at verse 38, where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I feel like this passage is very well known, even to people who haven't grown up in church. Usually they've heard the phrase eye for eye and tooth for tooth, or something along those lines, and they'll even make little pokes at it and say, well, you know, eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, and things like that, and people have used this passage to kind of advocate for an attitude of, well, if something goes wrong, just kind of roll over and take it, and, you know, just grin and bear it, and things like that. And I don't think that really represents this passage well. So to, in order to understand what it is that Jesus is trying to convey in this message, we have to understand a lot of the historical context that surrounds this passage. So, for instance, the phrase eye for eye and tooth for tooth comes from part of the law that God gave to the Israelites on how they were supposed to live. And you can find the phrase in multiple parts of the Old Testament. So, for instance, in Leviticus chapter 24, beginning at verse 19, God instructs them saying, Anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Now, if you look at a passage like that, you might think that this is God advocating for people to get revenge against those who have harmed them. But it's actually quite the opposite. You see, before the Israelites had this instruction of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, which people outside of the Israelites did not have, the Israelites before that time and the people around them had no boundaries at all for what kind of revenge to take against somebody who has harmed you or wronged you in any way. So there was no limits before this on what kind of revenge that you could give. And oftentimes people would take it way further than it should have ever gone. And to such an extent that the punishment far outweighed what the cost of the crime originally was. For instance, there's a chapter in Genesis, it's Genesis chapter 34, and it consists of this telling of when one of Jacob's daughter, her name was Dinah, was taken by a man, and he took her and raped her, and then wanted to marry her. And when Dinah's brothers found out about what this man had done, they tricked him and went to his city. And not only did they kill the man, they also killed his father and they killed 
every single man in that city. And then they took all of their women and all of their children as well, as well as all of their possessions and wealth with them. And that kind of revenge was commonplace at this time. And that's why God intervened and said, you know what? Maybe let's not take things that far, right? We're not going to excuse the crime. We're not going to excuse what has taken place. But maybe let's not go on a killing, pillaging rampage in response to it. Let's, let's keep the punishment at equal value as the crime. Therefore, if somebody wrongs you, don't go and kill an entire city of people. Instead, keep it eye for eye, tooth for tooth, fracture for fracture. The same injury that has been afflicted, that's the kind of injury that should be inflicted back in return, right? So let's put some kind of boundaries here. So when Jesus was or when God was establishing that rule of eye for eye, he wasn't trying to set a golden standard. He was just trying to create a boundary that would prevent people from going way overboard in retribution. So, because that was never meant to be the golden standard, he needed to make some clarification in this passage in Matthew. Because what was happening now was people pushing in order to have all kinds of fairness and to make things equal to ensure that equal punishment was being given in all circumstances. And what that ended up doing was that it removed any room for mercy. There could now no longer be any mercy or any forgiveness from a wrong that had taken place because it was demanded eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And Jesus was saying, look, that was important for its time to establish some kind of boundary, but that was never meant to be the be-all, end-all. It was never meant to be the golden standard. And in fact, it is better if you are able to forgive, if you are able to practice mercy because if you're just trying to make things fair and trying to make things equal if you're going above where you normally would in order to ensure that this is fair that's not healthy either so this first part is a teaching that warns against demanding fairness in all situations because a fairness in all situations, an equalness in all situations, prevents there from being mercy and forgiveness and love. So let me share an example that comes from my life that is probably one of my most <laughs> embarrassing examples because I'm so ashamed that I ever acted this way. But I was always a very black and white person growing up. And especially, like, if I was upset about something, I would only make more clear-cut lines between things. So, for example, there was this one time when I was already upset about something. I don't remember what I was upset about, but I was already in a bad mood. 
And my mom asked if me and, and my siblings would help her out in the garden. And she said, can I get you guys to help me out in the garden for 10 minutes? And me, because I was already upset and, you know, just a pain in general, what I did was I set a timer for 10 minutes and then went out to help her. And when that 10 minutes was up, I went back inside. Even though there was still more work to be done and everybody was finishing up what they were doing, I had been asked to work for 10 minutes, and I set that 10-minute timer, so I did what was asked for me, or asked of me, and that was fair, and I did my part. I did what was required. That was fair. But it wasn't loving. It wasn't thoughtful. It wasn't caring. It was selfish. And I am ashamed to this day that I ever acted that way. And I don't want to act that way in my life now. I don't want to act that way in the future. I don't want to let this desire for absolute fairness to make me someone who is unloving. And that's what Jesus is warning about here. Yes, you had eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You had that for a while when it was needed. But now let's make room for loving others and forgiveness and mercy. And the way he does that is by introducing this new idea of turning the other cheek. Now, let's get some more historical context on what this means to turn the other cheek. So it says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, in this culture, the left hand of a person was the dirty hand. So, without getting into too many specifics, it was your bathroom hand. It's what you used for cleaning up after using the bathroom. So, it wasn't clean. People did not use their left hand in any kind of social interaction at all, okay? So, left hand is out of commission. Now, think through this with me. You can't use your left hand and you are going to slap someone. So you only have your right hand, and you're going to slap someone. But it specifies someone being slapped on the right cheek. So if you bring your arm way back, and you go to slap somebody in front of you, you're going to be hitting their left cheek. So the only way that you can hit their right cheek is by swinging your arm the other way and coming back with a backhand. Now, if you're backhanding someone, that is an insult. You're saying, you're beneath me. It's basically the equivalent of somebody punching down. You're not worth my time. I'm above you, and I'm going to insult you by backhanding you across your right cheek. So when that happens... Jesus instructs, rather than backhanding them in return, right? Rather than saying, well, you insulted me, I'll insult you, to instead turn the other cheek. Now, again, picture you're the, per the person doing the slapping. If that person has now turned their cheek 
the other way. You are not going to be able to backhand them with their face turned the other way. The only way you are going to be able to strike them again is either with an open-handed slap or with a punch. And at that point, it's gone from a backhanded insult and demeaning someone to now striking them as an equal opponent in a match. So when you turn the other cheek, what you're doing is you are saying, if you want to insult me, fine. I'm not going to stoop to your level and backhand you in return. But if you're going to hit me again, it's going to be on equal terms. And there might be legal consequences for you for striking someone with the palm of your hand, with punching someone. Right? This isn't an insult anymore. Now it's going to be a fight. And are you sure that you want to turn this into a fight? Are you sure you want to escalate this? I'm giving you a chance to back out. Don't make this any worse. I'm not going to insult you back, but if you're going to strike me again, just know it's going to be as equals, and that changes the playing field here. But you can have the, you can have the backhand. I'll give you that one. So this is really a powerful teaching because it's not saying to just roll over and take it. What turning the other cheek does is it's really an invitation to equality between the people's positions. And in doing this, by avoiding that backhand in return, what that prevents you from doing is it prevents you from stooping down to their level. Right, that you're not just saying, "Well, you insulted me; I'll insult you back in return." You demeaned me; I'll demean you. Because that's not what we should be doing. We shouldn't be slandering others. We shouldn't be demeaning and insulting others. So this is a teaching that warns against corruption. Don't stoop to someone else's level. Don't allow the low standard that somebody else has set for your life to become the standard that you are living your life by as well. You need to be more honorable than they are. Just because they're being dishonorable doesn't mean that you get to be dishonorable. You're still called to take the high road, take that honorable path. That's not rolling over and taking it, because after that punch is thrown, it's a whole different game. But the backhand, let them have it. They didn't break any bones. You might get a small bruise for a day or two. Big deal. No skin off your back. But don't let what they have wrongfully done to you become an excuse to allow yourself to do something that you shouldn't. So let's take this whole situation, right? backhand, turn the other cheek, apply it into a modern sense. Let's say somebody drags your name through the mud. Let's say on social media, right? They post a Facebook status and they say something terrible about you. Maybe it's not even true. Maybe it's a, a lie that they've come up with or a rumor they've heard, but they have said something against you, against your name. They have backhanded you. 
They've insulted you. They have demeaned you. Do not, in response, go to their page and start making a post towards them and a comment and demeaning them in front of everybody to see and dragging their name through the mud. It's not worth it. It's not worth your integrity. It's not worth your honor. It's not worth giving up who you are and who God calls you to be in order to get even with them. Turn the other cheek. Now, what if they are doing it repeatedly, again and again and again? Lies, slander, insults. What do you do then? Then you provide the invitation to equality. You could call that person up. Say, hey, I've noticed you've been saying some stuff about me. I want to sit down with you. Let's get coffee. We'll sit down. We'll talk about it. Maybe I've wronged you in some way. Maybe in some way I'm not aware of. I don't know. But there's clearly bad blood between us, and I don't want there to be bad blood. So let's sit down, let's hash this out, what's going on, let's talk. See, at that point, it's no longer just insults flying across public space. It's saying, look, you're a person, I'm a person, we're equals, let's sit down and try to figure this thing out. Now, how they respond to that is entirely up to them. But at that point, you have done what is required of you. And you have prevented yourself from doing something that, is, that would be more demeaning to your character than anything that anyone can say about you. People know that people lie. And people exaggerate. But especially in this day and age and era, what you do... What you say, it lasts forever, and people will see it. Are you acting honorably and with integrity, or are you applying other people's standard to your way of living? See, other people's standards are not what you should be holding yourself to. You're not accountable to other people. You're accountable to God. So hold yourselves accountable to God and his standard. Turn the other cheek. It's not rolling over and taking it. It's not letting people just walk all over you. But it's saying, you want to try to demean me? You want to insult me? Fine. It, like, that doesn't matter to me. It's not important. But if there's an issue, then let's settle it as equals. So then he goes on from that, and he talks about somebody suing you to take your shirt, and if they do that, hand over your coat as well. Or if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, let's talk about the kind of person who would do these things. Now, think about that. Somebody suing you for the purpose of taking your shirt. Now, I don't know if they had legal fees during this time period, but I'm sure there was still a legal process 
that was a headache to deal with. It was not a smooth, expedient process. Whatever it was, whatever it looked like, this required work, effort, time to go through any kind of legal process. Imagine going through all of that just to take somebody's shirt. Is that really worth all of that time and effort? For that one little thing? And then this example of forcing somebody to go one mile. You were allowed to force someone to go with you one mile. You were not allowed to force somebody to go with you more than a mile. So if somebody's forcing you to go one mile with them, then they are forcing you to go as far as they possibly can get you to go without being in legal trouble. They're squeezing as much out of you as they can, every inch, every little bit. They want as much as they can get. It's really the same with this person that's going to go through this whole legal process if they can just get your shirt. This shows an attitude of someone who is just concerned with getting as much as they possibly can out of other people, down to the last drop. And they will push that envelope as far as they can. They will fight for every single centimeter because that's what they care most about. Every tiny little detail. And Jesus is saying, not only should you not be like that, don't be that way, first of all. Don't be someone like that. But also, show them how worthless what they're doing is. Oh, you, you, you're going to go through all of this just to take my shirt? Well, here, have my coat as well in that case. Big deal, I'll get a new one. Oh, you want me to go that full mile with you every single step? You know what? I'll go two miles with you. It's no big deal to me. Think of it like a sports game. Somebody says, well, for this and this and this, whatever reason, I want a two-point handicap. Okay, why don't you have a four-point handicap? Like, six-point handicap. What, what, what do you want? Sure, have it. I don't care. It's not that big of a deal. That's what Jesus is instructing you to do here. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. What Jesus is saying here is don't argue over all of these tiny little details. It's not worth it. Instead of focusing on those tiny little inches, focus instead on what really matters. He's trying to teach you to have the right priorities in your life. Not to squeeze every last drop that you can out of every situation. Take a step back. Look at the bigger picture. It truly is not worth it to argue over every tiny little thing. 
And it really ties in really well, I think, with what he says in the next chapter, in Matthew chapter 6, when he's talking about not worrying. It starts in verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? That's the same message that he is conveying here. Is it really worth it to argue over something so minuscule, so insignificant in the grand scheme of things? Especially when there are so many more important things that you could be focusing on. Have your priorities in the right order. Don't waste all that time and effort on silly things like this. Emphasize the things that actually matter. And really, this whole passage is saying that exact same thing. Don't get caught up in all of these tiny details that ultimately don't matter. Don't, you know, demand fairness. Don't demand eye for eye and tooth for tooth. It's not worth it. Forgive. Have mercy. Move past that hurt that you've experienced. Because revenge certainly isn't going to help you feel any better. Move past it. Look bigger. Not just eye for eye. Turn the other cheek. Don't stoop down to other people's level. Don't try to stab people in the back and, and twist the knife. Don't do those backhanded compliments and snide comments to get that little dig in there. Turn the other cheek. You want to fight? Let's fight. You don't want to fight? Then back off. I'll let you have the backhand. I'll let you have the insult. But there is a line that you can cross. As long as you don't cross that line, I don't care. But be aware, you can cross that line. Is that what you want to do? We're going to face each other as equals here. Not as people demeaning each other. Not as people throwing mud at each other. Hurling insults. Especially in a public place. We're not going to do that. Okay? I'm not going to play that game of yours. I'll let you have little digs. Because that's not what matters to me. My identity isn't found in your words. My identity is found in Christ. My security is there. I don't have to prove myself to you or to anyone in order to wrestle with my insecurities. I know who I am in Christ. You want to slander me? You want to lie about who I am? Let Go ahead. And I'll show people my character through my life. So if you want to do this, just be aware that it's going to be full on. But I'm not going to stoop to your level. I'm not going to participate in this insult game with you. That's not what we're going to do. Because getting every leg up I can over other people is not my priority. Arguing over every tiny detail in order for it to be exactly the way that I want it to be that's not my priority. That's not what matters. There's so much more important things 
that I can pour my time and energy into. And I'm going to do that. And if having my shirt is most important to you, that's the most important thing in your life, well, I feel sorry for you. Take my coat too. Apparently you need it. You need me to go a whole mile with you? You know what? Let's go too. The exercise will be good for me. You see, it, it's really not about just rolling over and taking it. It's not about letting people walk over you. It's about having an integrity where you are not lowering yourself to the level where other people hurt each other for no good reason and demand things from others and, and go to the ends of the earth, fight and claw, tooth and nail, scratch and bite in order to get every little bit. Don't live like that. It is a destructive, depressing way to live. And it's not how God wants you to live. There are so many more important things for you to focus on, for you to pour your heart and soul and time and money and energy into things that matter, things that are truly significant. So where is your effort going? Is it in going into addressing molehills that you've turned into mountains? Or does your effort go toward things that have eternal value? And do you chase after those things and stand up for those things in a manner that is pleasing to God? What does the striving in your life look like? We all strive for something. We all put effort into things. There are things we want to accomplish and do. What kind of things are they? Are they temporary things? Are they things that boost ourselves up? Or are they things that have eternal value? And how do you pursue those things? Is it with an attitude of the end justifies the means? Or that you would have ne never acted in that way, but they did this first, therefore. Or do you act in a way that's pleasing to God every step of the way? So take some time to examine your life. Is it spent resisting evil people in evil ways? Or is it focused on seeking after God and His righteousness? above all else. And that's today's Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me either on the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, please leave nice messages there if you don't mind, <laughs> and uh, you can also email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. I check it regularly, multiple times a week, and I do my best to get back to everyone who emails me there. And I encourage you to share this with other people that you think uh, could learn a lot from this, maybe things about the historical context they didn't know about, or maybe you just like it and want to share it with people that you like and that you know would like it too. And along those same lines, uh, wherever you're listening to this, remember to like it, rate it, make comments, things like that. Show that interaction with it 
so that uh, the algorithm helps boost it and gets it out to more people. And I would appreciate that as well. But honestly, I appreciate you just taking the time to listen to me and to read God's Word with me and study God's Word. It's something I personally love doing. I enjoy every minute of it. And to know that there are others out there that enjoy doing it with me just fills my heart with joy. So thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you.